1: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Flyers Talk podcast. As always, Katie Emmer and Jordan Hall joining you today. Jordan, we will have a great start to the episode today. We have uh, continuous uh, news coming from the NHL after that big announcement from Gary Bettman earlier this week that uh, they announced their return to play plan featuring a 2014 playoff format into Hub cities. Um, we have a fun end-to-end coming out on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com about um, what city we would love to see the Flyers playing in. Um, so that's really fun. Make sure to check that out with Jordan and I and Taryn Hatcher and others, uh, Brooke Destro, others with uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia. But a lot of different topics to get into, Jordan. Um, Chris Terrian had, you know, something too that came out right away. One of our, you know, favorite co-workers around the office. I haven't seen him in person in quite a while, but he's been busy Um, especially with this NHL news. A former NHL player, of course, he's got what it takes to know maybe what the feelings are for certain teams that don't make this cut for the playoffs, and he had a very interesting point that he released just earlier this week as well.
0: Yeah, Katie, was kind of looking at almost what would be like a rental lottery for some of these players, uh, maybe at the end of their contracts, uh, older guys that were on teams that did not qualify for the 2014 return-to-play plan, and, um, it would, you know, it would basically give these guys an opportunity to maybe jump on a playoff team and play. And, it would, it would, you know, it would create a fairness within the entire league in terms of um, having multiple guys being able to, to be selected. Um, a very, very unique stance. And I, I, love, the, I, I love the idea because I, I, that never struck me, that there's a lot of guys out there, um, like a Joe Thornton, KV, who's 40 years old and, yeah. you know, doesn't know how many more years he's going to have left probably would love to play some hockey, some playoff hockey, doesn't know if he'll play next season. Um, certain guys like that, that uh, it'd be cool to see them kind of a, a different element. This would be another layer of um, kind of the experimentation the NHL is looking at. Uh, I think it was a really cool idea, great perspective by Chris Tarion who, who has played and was kind of trying to think of what he would be feeling like right now if he was in some of the shoes of some of these players that uh, aren't getting a chance to play and they don't know how many more years they have left. Um, I really thought the idea was cool. I think it would be I think it would be really complicated and tough to pull off. I think the NHL is already dealing with a, a number of uh issues that they're trying to figure out uh to get this thing going. But um I think it's a it's a great thing to debate and talk about.
1: Yeah, and, and look, you can make the uh argument that okay, for of course the Red Wings, the worst team this season. Um you can make an argument, okay, you should have played better. Um, or even San Jose, for that matter. You mentioned Joe Thornton. Like, you should have played better. But at the same time, for all our listeners, your season was just cut. I mean, you woke up one day and it's over. You have no chance. And again, you should have played better throughout the regular season, right? Like, you keep saying that um, they shouldn't have even been in this position in the first place if they would have played better. Like, that whole argument. But again, when when you are a guy like Joe Thornton, um, that's the first guy that came to my mind as well, Jordan, as you mentioned him. Um, even guys like, like Andre Kolpitar, another one, like, I know he's had his, uh, his winning days, but, um, players like that with, with the Kings, Brent Burns, um, again, not up there as far as age goes with Joe Thornton, but players like that, that you really just, they had no chance to really keep going. Um, their season was cut short. This wasn't expected from any of us. Um, and I think how fun would that be Jordan to just see these guys, um, jump into the race? I, Again, so many blanks to be filled in in this moment. Like, we don't know so many things. We're hoping that, you know, news gets better, things continuously get better with COVID-19, cases around. Like, we can all have a safe environment to do this in the first place. Um, But if it's going to happen, I mean, I would love to see it too. I'm right on board with my uh, line mate on pre and post game. Um, Great idea by him. And even coming, you know, from him, as I mentioned earlier, a former player. Like, he knows what that maybe feels like. to run through these kind of motions. Uh, But specifically in Joe Thornton's case, you would love to see it. And plus, didn't he just shave his beard? Like, I need a little wellness update. That was a great video. I think it was a couple weeks ago already. Joe Thornton would be fun to see in the mix. And I think this would be a great idea to get them involved.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be really cool. I think it'd be fascinating for fans of some of the teams that aren't in the field and then some of the teams that are in the field of, you know, who wouldn't want to welcome – some of those names to your team if you're competing for the cup, and then if you're a fan of uh, a team that's not in the in the race, um, then you get to see some of your favorite players maybe join another team and get that last kind of run at things. Um, I think the only reason why I think I, I think it's I don't want to I'm not trying to bash uh, our our great friend. Christelle. No, you are you are. <laughs> uh, why Go it's ahead. more of a um, a theory and kind of fantasy as it is in terms of being realistic. It's just I. I think we've heard so much from players in the league about keeping the integrity of the playoffs, the integrity, the integrity. This is a very um, storied playoff, uh, and the Stanley Cup is a very uh, historic trophy. I think if you throw this in, all of a sudden, you are um, potentially damaging the integrity with a guy who never played for this team all of a sudden jumping on a club. I, I think they want to award these teams at, um, did well during the season to give them the best shot. And if it's also in your picking and choosing certain players and adding you yeah. know, really quality player, just because he's not in the playoffs and all of a sudden you're throwing him into the mix. Uh, I think that does challenge the integrity of the playoffs. That's just the only reason why I think uh, it wouldn't be a go for the league and for the, the players i can even see the players probably questioning that as well but that's just and with
1: and with that i mean it's it's great right we could be i I love your point because that is so true i just feel like in general right now like i i'm going down the road of i could see like a a con about this like in you know with what you just said another thing to me is you think about that word integrity right like this wouldn't the whole playoff format you would never be seeing in the NHL playoffs a fully healthy team everywhere. Like everyone is fully healthy. Again, there, there might be a couple here and there, but for the most part, everyone, it's an equal playing field. Everyone has a full and healthy roster. And in cases where you would want to sign a Joe Thornton or or add, you know, someone on uh, your squad that could add that extra um, fire, that extra jump, it would most more so be in the case of like trying to fill a void of an injury or fill in for someone who's missing, But Jordan, there really wouldn't be. So you're just adding even more. And who knows what team would be able to get that to add even more firepower to their already uh, strong team in the playoffs. Like, so much of it is just making my head spin. But again, when you think about these individual players and just, you know, their personal maybe integrity of their their hockey careers again. You know, should have had a better regular season. But hey, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be – well. I don't know. I say I wouldn't be too upset, but you know, I'd be kind of trying to see that against the team the Flyers are taking on, and it's like this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> but so many things wouldn't have happened in the first place. Uh, case in point: having a full, healthy roster heading into playoffs.
0: Yeah, and I, I, like we said, Kate, it, 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 I love the idea. I think it's a really cool idea. I, I didn't really—it didn't even cross my mind some of this, some of the situations yeah. we're dealing with. So I love that Chris Terry brought it up. But when we do talk about legitimacy of the champion, the integrity of the champion. Imagine if, like, a Joe Thornton or, like you said, an Anze Kopitar um, won a cup with, like, the Penguins or someone. How many times would people Uh, say, well, oh, the Penguins won that year because they got Kopitar. Oh, my gosh. Like, it it, it would kind of – it would challenge the legitimacy of it, I think, uh, across the board. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah. and then, and then, like you said, I think the NHL would argue, hey, listen, we expanded this thing to 24 teams. We're leaving out seven teams. We, we tried to be as inclusive as possible and give everyone a shot. This would just even open things up even more. I think the NHL did what they had to do. 24 teams it's plenty. But, Katie, this discussion does have us thinking about what would the Flyers lineup look like for a game one or for the first game of that round robin. Um, they have some decisions now because they are healthier. Uh, when the NHL was, dis- when the season was suspended on March 12th, they had some injuries and the lineup wasn't as difficult to kind of put together. Now there will be some decisions for the Flyers. So Katie, I'll break down the lineup I had on NBC but I would love your insight too. Um, let's go through it real quick. On the first line, I had Claude Drew, Sean Couturier, Jacob Boricek. Second line, I had Joel Farabee, Kevin Hage, Travis Konechny. Third line, I went with James Van Riems, like Scott Lawton, Tyler Pitlick. And fourth line, Michael Raffle, Derek Grant, Nicholas Aube-Kubel. And then in terms of the three defensive pairs, Ivan Provrov and Matt Niskanen on the first, Travis Sandheim, Philip Myers on the second, and Robert Hay, Justin Braun on the third. And then obviously Annette, pretty quite uh, self-explanatory, Carter Hart, Brian Elliott. So Katie, the, the, probably two of the biggest questions I had um, were where to put James Van Riemsdyk. Obviously, as we know, he was injured at the time of the suspension. Now he is back. Who comes out for JVR? And then also, it was on defense. As we've talked uh, almost ad nauseum at times, who would be that odd man out? Would it be Shane Gossespierre, Philip Myers, or Robert Haig? So I went with James Van Riemsdyk on the third line, and I had to take out Nate Thompson, a really good depth center with playoff experience, but... Um, I think he's the odd man out here. You're not going to take out – I don't think you should take out a young player like Nicholas Albe kubel who was playing really well in a limited role. He was showing great energy. He was helping you with special teams even, uh, even getting some power play time. Uh, Derek Grant, you're not going to take out. I love him at fourth-line center. I think he helps them play a tough physical style um, alongside Michael Raffle. And I think JVR slots into that third line really well. Um, I think you want to keep Joel Farabee in that top six. Elaine uh, Vigneault mentioned that before the pause, that he wanted to put Farabee in a spot where he could really show his offensive skill and succeed. And Javier kind of slides nicely into that depth role where that line of Lawton, Pitlick, and Van Riems, like I think would be really tough to play against with its size, its effort. Um, I think it would uh, be able to play some big shifts and really create opp- opportunities for the Flyers' top six to get some really good matchups. Uh, so I think JBR could really give him a lift there. That was a big question for me was who's coming out. I thought Nate Thompson made the most sense. Uh, and then in defensively, I have Shane Gossespierre out. I, I like Shane Gasper. I always have. Uh, but I think what the Flyers had working right before the pause uh, was a good thing. And uh, Ghost played one game, I believe, because, um, because Philip Myers sustained his injury. But Philip Myers is healthy. I thought he was playing well. He was showing plenty of promise next to Travis Sanheim. So I think they go with what they had going. Um, Shane Gosses, odd man out, but a really good guy to have on deck. And for what I would think is in a seven-game series or even in the round robin, uh, Elaine Vigneault gave Philip Myers a a pretty semi-short leash. If he was really kind of showing uh, the pressure getting to him and not really playing his simple game, uh, he would be ready to turn to Shane Gosser's for Philip Myers. Uh, but those were the questions I had, Katie. What do you think? Yeah. Do you have anything different? I, I can't wait to hear.
1: It. I like it. I like it. You know, uh, you mentioned just who's going to be the odd man out. And I feel like I'm a broken record saying this, but a good problem to have, right? Yes. You're thinking about that. But it's a problem, too, that so many other teams in this 2014 playoff format, also this round robin, are going to have the same case of, especially when you think about adding in the Black Aces, the HL season's over. You're going to have even more people to, to be who is going to be the odd man out. I mean, another thing we talked about even before we started recording, Morgan Frost. I mean, where is a guy like this who you would think would make such a splash uh, for the Flyers? Um, where would he be able to fit in? So again, it's good to have these backups, right, in case of any injuries, but it's definitely a good problem to have. I will go through, I, uh, I do agree with a lot of this, but I'm gonna have to go, starting with this first line, I like having the captain and Sean Katuri on that first line, but I'm gonna have to put TK over Voracek just for the matter of, I like the way Travis Konechny has played with Couturier all season long. You remember that goal um, the, behind the net, like the, just the turn back, knew where he was going to be. And again, those are things you see um, in the NHL. You know, That's what you would expect out of these high-caliber players. But these two go beyond that. Like Their telepathy on the ice, their style of play, Sean um, Couturier plays good with whoever he's with. But I do think that Travis Konechny earlier in the season on pre and post, we were all calling him the spark plug. Um, He is the spark plug. He will, uh, I think, really start strong, specifically when you think about getting right into the action in game one. I think he's needed to just get going from the drop of the puck first. On the second line, I move Jake Voracek there. Um, Beside him at center, I have Kevin Hayes. And then, Jordan, I put JVR up. I like the way JVR plays when he's – up at second or first like I, I just like the way he plays I say I mean more so the second line we've seen him at this season I like the way he plays there I feel like he's a player that um he doesn't really show frustration if he's in the bottom you know the bottom uh, feeders of the the lineup but he never uh, gosh I called him the bottom feeders that made it sound bad like the depth is amazing so even if you're on the third or fourth line you're still making a splash JVR specifically, I think, you know, if he plays on that second line, he has a little bit more of a jump. It's just, I feel like he wants to be there. He feels like he deserves that sort of thing. And you know, he has to prove it, of course, but if we're talking about game one, I think JVR in the second line will be good. Welcome back, bud. Like you're healed up, you're ready to go. And we know what kind of player he uh, has the capabilities of being. Again, we've seen him go He's popular to go on streaks and then go off of streaks, and he's sulking. But I think uh, the potential is there for him to really get going in game one on the second line. Third line, um, Faraby, of course. I have Lawton uh, at center and then Pitlick. Uh, I think that's more so the same line you had, except I just swapped Faraby and JVR. Another thing I thought about, too, is you got to think Faraby – a player, rookie season, I just feel like him, uh, as far as what Elaine Vigneault would think, he would trust him more on that third line. Like, and, and maybe there's an argument there of you need a younger a younger fairby. I like that line how you had Farabee and Travis me because, again, younger players that um, have different styles but still could add that sort of jump. But I just like Faraby more so on the third line. Scott Lawton, of course, who's been standing out all season long. Uh, fourth line. Michael Roffel, uh Derek Grant, of course, and Nicholas Obay-Kubel. Gotta love what you've seen from Obay-Kubel this season. Um, the way he's been dropping the gloves, first and foremost. And is fighting going to be part of this 24-team playoff format, or is that too close for comfort? Who knows? But I don't expect him to just be a fighter. We've seen what he can do. He can score. He, he can be everywhere. Um, he also is part of – he brings that extra emotion that I talked about with Travis Konechny um but Derek Grant of, of course it's a given you had him too down there he has added so much uh for the depth uh for the Flyers since he's got uh since he was traded here five points in seven games Jordan I mean how about the first two games he played with the Flyers or it was the first three um I, I remember very clearly just with like wow I mean what a trade hey like got a kudos to Chuck Fletcher here what a what a trade to get a guy like that that that's what you wanted out of him so Derek Grant um, adds a lot to the depth. He has stood out um, right there, and I think that'll be helpful. Just before I get into defensemen, you mentioned Nate Thompson too. I talked about the black aces coming up. Nate Thompson, another one that you did count out, and I have to agree with you on that. Um, I I see Nate Thompson as being the one to maybe count out too, but there's no belittling his, uh, his potential or downplaying his potential is what I meant to say. He is a player that, Uh, has that sort of, you know, mentality of the the veteran. I mean, he's an older player. He's been in the league. He's been around the league. He's seen so many different teams, so many different things. I could see him as really helping out um, as far as just maybe leading, leading um, on and off the ice. Uh, But who knows? He hasn't been here that long. I just – a good problem to have is to have Nate Thompson backed up. And, again, we saw – here's a hockey term for you. I'll go – we saw his passion uh, in the first – um, the first games when he was getting here with the Flyers. And I mean, Jordan, we heard him too when he was um, traded. He, he was talking about on that, on that conference call before he even got to Philly, he was saying like, I am so happy to be going to, to uh, Philadelphia, just seeing what they have been able to do. He was so excited to be in Philadelphia. So you got to love a player that's happy to be here after a trade. He, he wants to win with this team and um, he definitely will be there. It's just that big question of, okay, it's a good problem to have. You have these backup players, um, Morgan Frost included and, and other guys included, but I didn't think about Connor Bunneman too, but you gotta be, uh, you know, you gotta count those ones out. And maybe if there's any issues down the road, if these guys, someone gets hurt, someone can't play right, you get those in the lineup On to the defensemen. Um, do you, I feel like I've been giving a storyline, a story novel to, uh, to you and to everyone right now, but, um, this stuff is really fun for me. Cause then you think, okay, game one, we're getting into it. Here we go. Hockey is around the court. No, but This is fun. This is so fun for me. Okay. defenseman. Um, I, I just like, I agreed with you down the board, but I'm just going to disagree with you to have fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I went, of course, pro and Niskanen. You can't ever argue that pair. I mean, who's going to come at you and say, you can't play those two together. Are you kidding? They're amazing. Um, they, uh, they lead the way I like their style together. And speaking of style together, like the maybe disagreement I have, but I'm not strongly disagreeing with you. I just, I liked the way Sandheim and Braun played together, but like when was the last time that happened? Like we've seen Sandheim and Myers so much of, you know, right before specifically the NHL pause that I would see Elaine Vino and the coaching staff wanting to keep this as consistent as possible. Um, you don't really want to change things up as much. And that was a, a question we had, Jordan, is what do you think uh, the coaching staff, Mike Yo? what do you think they see out of those two together? Like their style of play, Sandheim and Myers, but I don't really see it happening that they would break those two up, but like I, I do feel like Braun, when we talk about leadership, he would be a good one to be up uh, playing with, with Sandheim, just from what we saw with those two, they, they played well together and I think that might be nice to switch that up. I have to agree that I see Robert Haag is the guy that's in the lineup. Um, Shane Gostis-Bear, a good guy to, to really have gosh, I mean, there's so much extra help that the Flyers will have. It's crazy to think, but Shane Goss' I would see as the extra help. Um, And you know what? Through all of this, like, we don't have him in here, right? But a player that was so frustrated um, right before the NHL pause with his knee, with different injuries, think about that to just maybe he might be able to bring something so different. The fact that he's had this extra time, he's newly engaged, he's going to be having – I know the personal stuff, whatever. He's got to play better on the ice. Okay, guys, I get it. But uh, that extra stuff involved, maybe this break is what Shane Goss' needed. You know, maybe fully healthy when the season uh, resumes again, maybe that'll be uh, what he needs. But certainly I see Robert Haig is the guy that's going to be in there, in that bottom uh, pair. And, you know, if it is going to be with um, Braun or or even Myers for that matter, I I don't really see Myers as maybe playing with him, but um, we'll see. We, We definitely will see, but... Gosh, it's fun to look through this, Jordan, and just um, really reflect and think about there are so many good threats that this Flyers team has. I mean, you would pay attention more so maybe to Travis Konechny, Sean Couturier, the guys that are at the top of the list scoring-wise, but I mean, gosh, when you look through the lineup, you look through these names again, it's been so long since we've gotten ready for like a game. This is truly such a team that they can make such an impact, and it's hard to think about, you know, that round robin. There's all these other teams that have the same thing. They're going to have all their different threats. Their extra black aces from the HL, Their extra helpers that are all healthy now. Um, it's hard to think about that, but I mean, gosh, the Flyers are in such a good spot.
0: Your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app. Listen to Eagle Eye Sixers Talk, Phillies Talk, and Flyers Talk now. You know what, Katie, I, I found interesting that I've been thinking about is how much would Elaine lane kind of tinker with things in the round robin? For example, say they lose their first game and maybe their second game, and all of a sudden it's looking like, hey, they don't really have a chance to really improve their seed too drastically. Would he try to get a few of his extras, some games, some reps before their first round series? I think that would be a really interesting um, development during that round robin uh, I think it would be incredibly challenging for Elaine Vigneault in terms of deciding what he wants to do. Does he treat that round robin like it's the Stanley Cup and he goes with his best lineup? Or does he adjust as a few games happen? If they lose a few, all of a sudden it's like, well, you know what? We can't really manu- We really can't move much uh, in terms of our seed. So maybe I get Shane Goss' a game. Maybe I get Morgan Frost a game. Maybe I get Nate Thompson a game and get these guys just some type of Uh, game rep. So when that best of seven series does come, uh, these guys will at least have something that they can fall back on in terms of getting some game action. I think that would be a really interesting uh, storyline during that round robin to see how it develops. But like you said, um, some really good options, some really good guys to have in your pocket uh, if you need to pull it out. Um, Nate Thompson has played 60 plus playoff games in his career. He's yeah. been to a Western Conference final. He's been to an Eastern Conference final. It's not a bad guy to have um, uh, in your arsenal. Uh, say, maybe a Nicholas Albea Kubel struggles a little bit, or if you're needing um, if you're needing some more effort in your bottom six, good guy to have. Shane Gostisbehere, not far removed from a 65 point season, uh, can give you an offensive jolt. Um, if Philip Myers falls on some tough times, or maybe uh, the Flyers are looking for more offense, so they. They bring in Ghost for a Robert Haig, um, a good guy to have uh, uh, to, to, to be able to pull to. Um, so, yeah, good options for the Flyers to have. Uh, these are good decisions, like you said. Um, I really liked what you had to say about Travis Konechny that, and also JVR spot. Those were the two ones that I kind of debated. The reason I kept uh, Travis Konechny on the second line was because I just loved how Jacob Voracek played yeah. with Sean Couturier. I thought Couturier really brought the best out of Jake. So I really wanted to keep those two together because I thought they really clicked from about late November on. Um, whereas I think Kinecti can be more of a spark plug for that second unit. So, But I, I liked what you had to say there. And then for JVR, um, I really think he complements skilled guys. We know he's a finisher. So I think he would be a great fit on that second line. I think I wanted him more on the third line because I think it meant more for Joel Faraby to be on that second line put him in more of a position to succeed in terms of offensive chances, um, put him with some more skill, whereas JVR, I think, can complement um, different lines. Uh, but, again, good, good decisions to have. Uh, fun to look at because it means we're, we're getting hopefully closer to games and uh, these type of things. Hopefully.
1: So. Oh, every day. I've said this from the start. Every day is a day closer, Jordan.
0: And, Kate, um, looking at these lineups, I know we've been looking uh, – it kind of makes us debate uh, what we think these Flyers can do in this 2014 field. We've seen odds recently come out from Vegas. Um, We wanted to touch on those odds a little bit. What did you think of the odds that they've been given? Do you like their chances in the round robin? And then what do you think uh, they could do in the entire field?
1: Well, um, yeah, with uh, Vegas, they gave the Flyers the longest shot to win the number one seed, and I disagree. I don't think they're the longest shot. I went through, again, Jordan, because – we, we remember very clearly, and of course the Penguins aren't part of this, but even how they played against the Penguins, you know, the record maybe doesn't speak for that, but they played so well against these top teams. And, and with that list, going through just as a refresher, because I don't agree with this argument, I don't think they're the longest shot to win the East's number one seed. The Capitals, the Flyers were 3-1 and one against them. Like, let's not forget they outscored the Caps 16-8 to eight in those three games. There was no way, and of course, like Alex, Alex Ovechkin will always be a threat, but I just feel like they controlled those threats, TJ Oshie included, and a lot of their top power guys, um, but I think that just speaks for itself. They outscored him 16-8, to eight. Um, and even who knows how Braden Holpe, he's been, I feel like, streaky this season. I feel, you know, of course, they've won a cup, they know what it takes, and you can't underestimate them in the playoffs, specifically. They're a team that does so well in the playoffs, but... I don't see um it maybe too much of an issue there because you know the team specifically this season the Flyers were able to to play with and and beat, of course. The Boston Bruins, two and one. Uh we gotta remember those two wins were in a shootout. Um they weren't um they didn't outscore them. They they were nine and nine in those uh three games. So that of course <laughs> the Bruins, a team that another one that is gonna be tough to beat, but like I mean this by when I go through this list, and again, with Tampa Bay, they were 0-2, and and the Flyers were about to play them again until the NHL paused the season that very Thursday. Um, I I just go through this list, guys, just because when you think about these records, you think about specifically this 2019-2020 roster with the Flyers and with these other top three teams in the East, the way they were able to play with them, I don't feel like they are the farthest from the number one seed. Yes, it's going to be hard. Is it going to be easy? New, new. Um, Tampa Bay is the biggest threat in my eyes. And then you don't even want to look at the Bruins, but I don't see the Flyers as the farthest shot to win that number one seed. And again, Jordan, anything can happen in the playoffs. Even Chris Letang was saying um, that the playoffs are a whole different animal. Um, And again, here we are talking about a Penguins player, but he he did say that and all the players you could think agree. This is a whole nother animal. The playoffs are just completely different from the regular season. That being said, Yes, it could go the Flyers' way or it could not. Maybe these records in the regular season don't even matter. But if we're being optimistic here, and Jordan, we always love to have the good news. We like to be optimistic. Why not think the Flyers had a chance at the number one seed or at least higher up right above there, but not number four?
0: I agree. If the Flyers are the – if they have the worst odds in that round-robin group, uh, it can't be by much um, because the Flyers should have a ton of confidence. There's no reason. Like you said, they took three of four from the Capitals scored them 16-8. To they took two or three from the Bruins. The, the main team that gave them trouble was the Lightning, and they only played two games. The Flyers lost both. One was a 1-0 game, and one was a 5-3 game with an empty netter by Tampa. So really almost two one-goal games against Tampa. Um, so the Flyers had a ton of confidence. Uh, not only did they take three or four from the Capitals, but they allowed fewer goals per game. Uh, they scored more goals per game than the Bruins. Uh, so they're right there with those three teams. Um, and I like their chances overall in the field. I think they're going to get a nice matchup no matter what. Uh, we don't know exactly you know, who they will play, obviously, because they, the NHL is still determining whether they want to move forward with a reseeding style or a bracket style. So that will ultimately determine the Flyers' matchup. But um, no reason they should dislike their chances in this round robin. And, and, again, the really great thing is they don't have anything to lose in this round robin. They can only help their seed. They can only climb, yeah. and they can't go any lower. So, if and I think that's sh-
1: something else that is so important to remember, Jordan. I, that's what I was, and that is such a great point. It's like, yeah, you don't want to, you know, lose anything, but you really can't. You're already at number four, and look at that number four. Are you really that upset about it? Of course, that might depict, as you mentioned, either reseeding or bracketing. That might depict, you know, your who's going to be uh, your matchup and, and how tough your matchup may be. But it's like. Number four is not anything to be too concerned about, right?
0: No, and it really puts Elaine Vio as I was as I was saying he was going to have difficult decisions in the round robin. It puts him in an advantageous position as well because then he can really decide what he wants to do once they're one or two games into that round robin. Because if they struggle in those first two games, then he can he can have the realization that hey, we're not going to climb over these these other games. Um, you know, they play each team uh, once. So he can know, like, okay, let me play around with this this other game now that I have because we're not going to get any better. Whereas the Bruins don't have that luxury. They can only fall. Um, yeah. And that's what makes this round robin somewhat complex and also perplexing uh, for some of those t- top seeds because they're thinking, well, hey, what do we have to gain from this? Uh, we can only hurt ourselves. And that um, was something – We had the pleasure of talking to NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly about was the round robin, the idea of it. Um, Our own Michael Barkan sat down with him today and had a video interview with Bill Daly. Great stuff from that interview, including the topic of the round robin game. Here's what Bill Daly had to say about that and a few other hot topics as we look for the NHL season to resume.
2: Well, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to the top teams and, and uh, I, it's understandably um, we've heard from some of the top teams about that uh, issue. What we were trying to do is uh, come up with a, a situation where we um, uh, give the top teams an opportunity to play uh, meaningful competitive games um, prior to having to play in a, a playoff round or face elimination. Um, And we thought that the the round-robin concept, um, the clean round-robin concept, playing for points and playing for seeding was meaningful and uh, would give these clubs the best opportunity to prepare themselves um, where the the other teams will be playing for their lives um, from the drop of the puck. Uh, These teams will uh, be able to use the three games um, uh, for meaningful stakes uh, but also, really, just to get to pr- prepared for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, two part question here. What one? Um, how do you envision a day in the life of um, you know a hub city? Uh, and um, if a player tests positive, or two, or three, tests positive for COVID, how will you handle that? Uh, I know in, in Korea, with the with the Korean baseball organization, one player tests positive, they shut the whole league down which has not happened by the way. Uh, and they have, they have just nine or 10 teams. They don't have that as many as, as the NHL, but thoughts on that. Yeah, no, uh, a good question. Um, you know, the, we, we haven't, uh, fully developed, uh, either our phase three or our phase four protocol at this point in time, we have some good models uh, to work with. Uh, we have some good ideas. Well, obviously we have our medical advisors and infectious disease specialists, uh, who will be helping us construct uh, our phase four protocol um, but uh, you know the ideal hub city is um, a, a place where there's enough room for players to have a life um, you know they're not going to be uh, sent back to their hotel rooms um, and stay there uh, 24/7 when they're not practicing or playing um, but it's going to be a contained environment and it's going to be a secure environment um, and it's going to give uh, the player some opportunity for some entertainment and and some freedom uh, but within a contained environment so um you know we have some ideas on how that works uh it'll be interesting to see how it works um but uh, but that's the concept In, in terms of uh what we're hearing uh from our medical advisors on on the possibility of a positive test obviously Um, everybody in this environment is going to be tested uh, uh, very, very frequently on a daily basis. Um, You know, the, the the players will all be tested before they go back to their rooms at night. Uh, We'll have those test results turned around uh, before they leave their rooms in the morning. If we have a positive test, obviously we'll get the person involved Uh, the appropriate medical care. We'll isolate them right away. Uh, We have been told by our advisors that depending on the circumstances um, it doesn't necessarily mean a whole team has to be quarantined. Uh, it won't necessarily shut down uh, the entire tournament. Um, so, you know, we're working on that assumption right now. Obviously, if you we start to get multiple positives or an outbreak type situation, it's a, an entirely different um, analysis. But, uh, but at least now, uh, we're working on the assumption that one positive test doesn't shut down.
1: Flyer's Talk is brought to you by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help.
0: Great to hear from Bill Daly. Awesome interview with our own Michael Barkan. Uh, Great insight from the deputy commissioner about how they're looking at testing the procedures for phase three and phase four. Katie, as we know, phase two is voluntary activities, hoping to get these uh, practice facilities open in early June. We know that training camps will not happen before July 10. That is phase three. Uh, and then phase four is resuming play. Uh, so if training camps, kitty don't open uh, until at, at the earliest July 10, that would give you maybe an idea that at the earliest you're starting games in late July, maybe early August. Uh, and then that season will go into the fall, uh, and it will certainly impact next year in a few ways. But uh, what do you think about the timeline? When do you think we'll, we'll see hockey and what it could mean for the NHL?
1: Yeah, this was, and again, great interview with Michael Barkan there. Some great questions. Um, Bill Daly, so interesting to hear his side of things and just how things go go on. But his opinion is so big to me, like, into so many. It's a you too, Jordan, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, him even mentioning, too, another thing saying that the NHL needs 45 days between seasons. And with that, you asked the question about this timeline. With that concern in mind, about okay, when are you going to be starting next season? And that's nothing new, right? We've heard about, okay, they're going to keep pushing. We've heard Gary Bettman on news sources saying that they go into even around like the holidays around that time or on Thanksgiving, like who knows? And that's all depicting of when this can pick up here. Um, With the date you mentioned, July 10 is when players were informed. Training camp, guys, is not starting any earlier than that date. This was a topic on our last episode we talked about. It's a concern of mine, this timeline. Okay, so – you're going to be picking up on July 10. My whole concern is that, okay, we're going to get July 1st here, and then it's going to say, okay, another two weeks, and you're going to keep pushing it. Um, and no one can control that, right? Again, I'll go back to saying that we hope things get better here. We hope that the situation continues to get um, – everyone continues to get healthy, and, and maybe this can um, start to, uh, to uh, decrease a little bit is the word I'm looking for. But anyway, with that in mind – I see, like you mentioned, maybe late July game starting. I don't even see that. Like if you're starting July 10 training camp, even, you know, after that date, if, you're, if that's the best case scenario at this point, because we know it can't be any earlier than that date, I just feel like we're going to be seeing games maybe even picking up the last or mid-August into September. Um, and it's just, it's very hard for me to picture that. Like I'm a big person that, of course, you want to you award a Stanley Cup, but at what point is it too much to keep affecting next season? And we talk about that word integrity earlier on in the episode, you're getting closer into like messing up next year and then you're going to have to pick up and this is going to keep going. And I'm being kind of pessimistic here, but I just feel that um, when he mentioned the 45 days between seasons, you got to keep that in mind. And if you keep pushing closer into the start of next year, you're just going to keep affecting that. So my best case scenario like you said, they're picking game. They're going to start uh, last week in July. Maybe we're going to start seeing um, these games pick up and, and see things moving. But I think that all starts too, Jordan, with um, we're seeing the practices. The guy's able to, you know, head back, specifically in Tavorhees, New Jersey, has opened up now um, to practice. I, I would just hope that by this July 10th date, you have your players from overseas, Jake Borachek included in that, different players that are in uh, their home countries, you have them quarantined. You have them ready to go with their teams by this date. There's no messing around by then, and and you would think that would happen. You know, you would think the teams would be ready to go, but so much is is riding on this. I just think it's so important to not push so much into next year.
0: No, I agree, Katie. I know they the NHL is very adamant about not compromising next season, uh, playing it in full, even if obviously it starts much later. They're, they're going to want to find a way to try to play it in full. I think ultimately they're saying that right now because they just don't really know. I think they're really just – they have their hands full right now with just this season. And I think that's their focus is, hey, let's just try to get this season going. Let's see if we can get it going and if we can find a roadmap to finish it. And then once they do or it does not work, then they can focus on next season. Um, I think they'll tackle those bigger issues – about playing next season in full, but they are confident that, uh, you know, say they can maybe start the season sometime in August, they can get it done, um, give a break, you know, in November and maybe start it up back around, you know, say Christmas in December. Um, and then they'll have to obviously juggle some things down the rest of the season. But um, it's almost going to be like a, like a long game of catch-up almost because uh, you're obviously playing catch-up right now with this season just trying to finish it. And then uh, you're going to be playing catch-up next season as well. Um, so I think it's going to be a thing that kind of lingers. Uh, but I think most importantly, they're just focused on what they have on their plate right now with this season. And then they'll they'll get to those important issues for next season. Uh, but they do yeah. believe they have a ton of flexibility with this summer. Uh, Bill Daly said that. They believe they have – this schedule is very flexible for them. Uh, so they're not panicking. But I do believe – I agree. I think it is a little concerning um, because if this – thing doesn't get get back going in like August and it starts to go to mid August. Um, And then what happens if you maybe have some issues uh, during the tournament with testing and maybe some positive cases. And um, it's a challenge. It will be a challenge for sure, but I think they're focused most importantly on, on finishing this season.
1: And Jordan with that, I don't want to take anything away from even what Jonesy said when he joined us, the team efforts that go into making these decisions, creating these ideas um, every day, I would say every week, but it is every day. And they came up with this 2014 playoff format. So many people behind the scenes. And, you know, this is their job, right? They got to go. But no one's prepared for something like this. Um, and the league, you know, every they know what the fans want. Gary Bettman said that in his press conference. They want to give the fans what they want in the best case scenario. And right now, um, that's this 2014 playoff uh, format. And the timeline wise, no one can control this. Um, But all you can control is just doing the best in in this scenario. And I do feel like the the NHL has taken a hold of that and you got to love too how they're the first sport to come out and really say what their plans are. Um, I'm certainly happy. I would, you know, assume you are too, Jordan, that this is the the sport we're involved in and we get this kind of news and we get this kind of hope. And I would think that hockey fans all around uh, the country and the world are in that same boat. Um, And hopefully we do see hockey very soon, but you got to, you know, tap of the, uh, or what was it? Tip of the hockey helmet is what Jonesy said to all the people behind the scenes, um, you know, around Gary Bettman, Bill Daly included, that are working so hard to figure out a solution here.
0: Yeah, real stick tap. I'm going to go with stick tap, kitty for stick me. Stick tap! A real stick like, tap for the I NHL. I like tip of the hockey helmet. Yes, I love that one too. But seriously, kudos to them. Uh, we solved the phase two for simply just returning to facilities for voluntary workouts of like six guys. We saw how detailed the NHL's protocol was for that. Um, it yeah. was lengthy and very thorough, and that's great to see. And that tells you how hard they are working to be as meticulous in this. Uh, and that's what you want and right safe. now. And safe. And safe. Uh, cool. you, want, you want that right now uh, in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, so I'm sure phase three will be very detailed. I'm sure va- phase four will be incredibly thorough and that's good to know. And it's great to see the NHL getting ahead on that. So that's awesome. And Katie, uh, hopefully next time we chat, we will have more, uh, more news and more to look at and more hopefulness around this situation. That's something we're definitely looking forward to.
1: Yeah, agreed. But, you know, first and foremost, Jordan, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope that you get a break. Um, you have had a busy week. I-, I would say me too, but you are up and at them uh, with all of your articles that everyone can go ahead and check out on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com and the My Teams app. There you go, Jordan give you a plug, just about a moment later. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but as always, great work. I hope you get a little break this weekend. And I can't wait to talk early next week, fans. We got some interviews coming early next week that are going to be very interesting to hear.
0: We do, Katie. And thank you so much. You are always working hard. So I hope you get a break. And everyone uh, with where we work, uh, I hope everyone gets a nice little break. And yeah. Weekend. And same to you, Flyers fans. Enjoy your weekend. And that is the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe. And we can't wait to talk to you next time. Stanley Cup playoff overtime hockey is the greatest thing going.
1: Game four of the 2000 Eastern Conference semifinals proves that by being the longest game in the modern era of the National Hockey League. The game lasted over seven hours throughout the eight periods. Players cramped up, had 10 second shifts on the ice and the arena ran out of food, as told by Flyers play by play broadcaster Jim Jackson.
2: They brought pizza up to us well into the night. And they kind of surprised us they came back a little earlier than expected. I said, hey, welcome back to Civic Arena Pittsburgh. And I look at Dorney and he's got pizza coming out of the
1: corner of his mouth. Sports Uncovered presents the Marathon on Ice.